normally I would be up here introducing the new life for girls. So instead, and I'm not continuing our series on Revelation because I just didn't do it. But what I am going to do is I'm going to, we've been teaching a class on Wednesdays for the past 10, 12 weeks. And it's based on the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, written by, uh, yeah, I can't remember his name. But it was, it's, I've taught it many times, and it's a, it's a challenge for us as Christians because we all want to do things for God. We all want to see God work in our lives. But most of the time that God works, it requires us to take the first step. And once we take that step, then we see God work. So we're going to go through a, a couple of lessons that we've done to kind of put it together for you. Now, it's a different format than I'm used to on Sunday, so if you bear with me on how we do this, because it's more interaction. On Wednesday night, we talk and we, you know, back and forth, and I ask questions, and nobody answers, but well, at least I asked the questions. So let me ask you a question. How many here have take a walk? How many exercise? You just walk, either go to the mall, or you just walk for exercise. What do you do when you walk? Do you talk to yourself? Do you think about work? Do you think about your family? Do you reminisce about things? I do a lot of driving, not walking, but when I'm driving, I always think about different things. And when we walk, God is able to speak to you when you walk. And there are a lot of times in the Bible where God speaks to people when they're walking. God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Abraham walked with his son up Mount Moriah. God walked with Moses through the Red Sea. God let the Israelites walk for 40 years. Joshua and his troop walked around the walls of Jericho. The disciples walked down the road to Emmaus, and Jesus walked down the Via Dolorosa. The premise is, if you want to do something for God, you've got to start walking. And this is the story about how Peter asked Jesus to let him walk on the water. Now, kudos to Brad, because I, he usually has these notes three or four days in advance to put this, the uh, graphics up and everything. Well, he had about 10 minutes this morning to do that. So I might be jumping around a little bit because I'm not ready, but here we go. Matthew 14, this is the second lesson. I'll read the story to you. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake where he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up on the hill by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on the water. All right, come, Jesus says. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. When he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he said. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You don't have much faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So, before God does anything, there's always a call on your life. 
In other words, God asks everybody to do something extraordinary that requires extraordinary faith and trust. In other words, if you can already do it, not a lot of faith involved in that. The examples I used were back when Billy Graham was still preaching, if you would ask him to pray and believe for a crowd of 200 people, it's not really a big act of faith. He gets thousands. What God does do is require that water walking is to ask you or me to attempt something that we've never done before with resources that we don't have to touch people that we don't know. Now, why does God do that? Why does God do things that we don't think we can do? If you have little kids, you know exactly why. Because you want them to grow and mature. For the baby who can't walk, you let them walk, right? You kind of hold their hands for a while and then you kind of let go of their hands. They don't think they can do it, but you know they can do it. You want to show them that they can do it. Same with riding a bike or anything. You have to challenge your child to do something that they think they can't do. But once they accomplish it, they realize that they were able to do it. And the number one thing that keeps us from doing anything extraordinary, what do you think that is? What do you think the one thing that keeps us from doing that? Fear. Fear. Because God always seems to push us into areas that appear scary to us. Things that each of us would be fearful of. And it, it, it seems that God always pushes you in the direction of your greatest fear. How many found that to be true? When God asks you to do something, it's the one thing that you really don't want to do. Well, God is the one who's challenging you to do that because he wants to see your faith. Again, having someone to do something they, they do all the time and they're good at is not water walking. Having you attempt something that you feel you can't do, that's water walking. And many of God's people had fear. In fact, God seems to call people to do something that they have a specific fear of doing. A couple of different types of fear are fear of inadequacy. In other words, I'm not good at doing this. Whatever it is God's calling you to do, you don't think you're good enough to do it. You don't have the talent or the skill or the ability. Exodus 4.10 says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been and I'm not now. Even after you have spoken to me, I'm clumsy with words. Verse 14 or 13 says, But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send somebody else. Then back in Gideon in Judges 6, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. When God called Midian, or Gideon to fight Midianites, he started with 30,000 people, and then God whittled it down to 300. Why? To show Gideon that it wasn't really Gideon doing the work. Gideon had to trust God to do it for him. And when God calls you to do something, the fear that we have is a natural fear, but God wants us to be able to overcome that fear and step out because it's not you that's actually going to do it. If you do it under God's power and anointing and calling, God will do it through you. The, the best thing that you can experience in your life is to do something for God that you think you can't do and realize that God did it through you. Uh, I've shared this testimony before. The very first time I, I preached in front of anybody, I had everything written out and I basically read, read my sermon line for line. 
But somewhere in the sermon I said something, I don't even remember what I said. And afterwards someone came to me and said, you know, you really, that, what you said here really ministered to me. And I realized that the thing that ministered to them was the one thing I didn't have written down. It was the one thing that God put in my mouth for them to hear. And at that point I went, this is awesome. Not because of the sermon, but because God actually used me to do something that I couldn't do. He spoke to that person with that one sentence or two sentences, whatever it was, God used me to do that. I didn't prepare for it, didn't plan for it, but God used me. And if I'd have been fearful of saying anything, God couldn't have done anything. That person would have left not being ministered to by God. So it's your inadequacy. What's the Bible say? That God uses the, the weak things to shame the strong. So God's gonna use you, and I think in specific areas that you think you can't do, because when you do it, who gets the credit? God gets the credit. Because you walk away knowing that, hey, I couldn't do that. But you did it, and God did it through you. The next part of fear is, it kind of equates with inadequacy. It's the fear of failure. How many like to fail? <laughs> no one likes to fail. So we, what we do is we don't allow ourselves to do anything that might actually cause us to fail. If I don't do it, then I can't fail in it. You look at Peter getting out of the boat, and we all yell at Peter for sinking. But you got 11 guys in the boat who didn't even get out of the boat. And they didn't do anything. Peter at least walked on the water. Numbers 13.30 says, But Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other man who had explored the land with him answered, We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. The land we explored will swallow up any who go there. And all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them. And that's what we looked like to them. When God calls you to do something, there's always going to be things and reasons not to do it. Potential failure in doing it. Now, we've talked a while ago about regrets. And we said that more people have regrets about things they did not do than things they did do. You get to the end of your life and you look back and you think, I should have done this. I should have done that. And they regret not doing them, taking the chance when they were able to do it. When you take the chance at 25 as opposed to not being able to take the chance at 65. Maybe the fear of making God mad at you is another thing. That what I do is going to Make God mad at me. People don't take, don't do it because fear of failure. They don't take risks because of fear of failure. And the Bible says it's okay to take risks. It's okay to step out in faith. Matthew 25, 24 says, Then the servant with one bag of gold came and said, Sir, I know you're a hard man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth, and here it is. You know the story. God gives these guys some money. Two of the guys invest it, and, God's, and the servant says, or master says, great, good job. The one guy says, I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm going to bury it. And what did Jesus say? He was mad at the guy for not taking the risk to do it. The, other, the first two guys invested their money. And he makes a differentiation in the Bible between investing and putting it in the bank. 
Because Jesus said to this guy, you should have at least put it in the bank and got interest, no risk in the bank. But the two guys invested it. In investments, you have the risk of losing it. And Jesus said, I am glad you took the risk and put that money in, a, in stocks and bonds and took the risk rather than doing nothing with it. God wants us to try and risk something even if we fail to do it. Because when we risk something, you may succeed. And at least God says, you tried it. You took the risk and tried it. If it doesn't work, try it another way. One way or another, God's call will always produce fear. Because if it's not fear-inducing, then maybe it's not God. Because God always challenges us to do something that we think we can't do, a little bit beyond ourselves. When your kids are in school, they'd love to stay in third grade forever because third grade's easy. But now you've got to move on to fourth. Then you've got to move on to fifth. Then you've got to go through junior high. Then you've got to go to high school. Every year is a little bit harder than the year before. It would be easy to stay where you are, not have to learn anything new because it's comfortable. But what happens? You stagnate, you don't grow, you don't mature. Everything God calls us to is designed to mature us and make us into more productive adults. And it's gonna be fearful. Now, God does reassure you when you start walking with him. Because if God asks you to walk, he will surely go with you and help you accomplish what he asks of you. Back to Exodus and Moses. Exodus 4.11 says, what who makes people so they can speak or not speak, hear or not hear, see or not see? It's not I, the Lord. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and do as I have told you. I will help you speak well, and I will tell you what to say. Judges 6.16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. God gives you little reassurances along the way. When I preached that sermon, that comment to me was a reassurance that man, this is what God's asking me to do. If I wouldn't have got that, I might have been like, you know, I don't know. I shared this on Wednesday night, and you've probably heard me say it. When I was going through Bible college, you know, you always doubt whether God calls you because everybody who's a Christian wants to be a preacher. So I, I'm going to Bible college, and there's three sections of Bible colleges. I equate it to high school, college, and graduate school. You take a big written test and a big oral test at the end of each section. And at the end of each section, I would pray going in, Lord, if this isn't what you want me to do, you got 10 or 12 guys that are more spiritual than me and they're praying and they can stop it. And so every time I took that test, I went in and they quizzed me and I left going not knowing. But every time they came back and said you passed, that was another reassurance that God was doing it. God will give you little reassurances along the way. That, he's, that he is working through you and what you're doing is what God's called you to do. Now along with the reassurances, you're going to experience troubles. How's that for encouragement? God never promised a life of unending ease. He never promised that if you do something for him that it will be easy. For, do, for Jesus to do God's will required him to die. Doing, doing God's will isn't always easy or pleasant, but it's always rewarding. Think about where these, the disciples were. Jesus physically told them to go on the water, get in the boat, go across. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. 
And when they were in the middle of the water, a storm came up. Even though they were doing what God called them to do, trouble came their way. And trouble came their way so that God can show them how to overcome that. So it's going to be difficult, but God wants us to persevere through that because in the end, you'll see God working through you. If the storm hadn't happened and if Peter didn't walk on the water, no one would have experienced how God calmed the waters when he got back in the boat. Now we've got to make a decision. We have to choose to do the extraordinary. You feel that call, you walk with God, you feel God speaking to you. Now you've got to make a choice. When you, when you got saved, you had to say yes to Christ. You had to walk the aisle. If you were in a church that had an altar call, you had to walk down front. A friend of mine says, if you can't stand for Jesus in a church, you can't, you're not going to stand for Jesus in the world. And so they make you come down front as an altar call to show that you're standing for Christ. When you first trust, trusted Christ, it was the beginning of a whole life of water walking. Because when you walked up front, you had no idea what was next. Now that you know that, now that you know all that is involved in being a believer, I ask you the question, do you want to go back? We can go back. We don't have to come to church. We don't have to read our Bible. We can go back to the way we were. But how many want to do that? I don't think anybody wants to do that. Despite the difficulties we have, no one wants to go back to the way it was. When you look at your life before Christ, how God changed your life since Christ, I don't want to go back. No way. But you have the ability to say no when God calls you to do something. It's a decision. And both decisions have consequences. If you choose to say yes, what are you going to get? You're going to get a changed life. When you became a Christian, depending on when you got saved, your life, 180 degree turnaround. It should be totally radical. You know, we talk about miracles and healings. The greatest miracle is salvation. The greatest one. Because you change an entire person's life at that moment. The light bulb goes off, they have a relationship with God, their life is changed. And I've said, if God doesn't do anything else for me, that's enough. Then my life was changed compared to where I was so many years ago. And once you attempt to do something that God calls you to do, that seems impossible, and you do it, guess what happens? Your life changes again. Because you realize the God of the universe did something through me. You know, one of my favorite verses is, who is man that thou art mindful of him? In other words, who, who am I? Who are we that the God of the universe cares about me? And that God chooses to use me or you or whoever to do anything. God has a call for everyone. How many know there's no bench warmers in God's kingdom? Everybody's got a calling. But everyone's calling is different. And every calling is going to be beyond your human ability to accomplish, which is why God does it. Maybe it's work, your job. Maybe it's a relationship issue that God challenges you to fix. Maybe it's a gift that God wants you to develop and use. Maybe it's facing our fears to overcome the fears. And whatever God calls you to is going to challenge you to the core. 
I mentioned my, my grandson, the young, he's four years old. And he's got a lot of fear going on. He's, he's real comfortable with us and his mom and his dad. But you've seen him here in church. He's, he's real cautious around other people. His sister is two, no problem. So he runs in the nursery and plays and has a good time. But he, he's kind of anxious. He hangs with Anna or myself. But he's getting better. And our job is to help him overcome that fear of being around other kids. He's not in school yet, and with COVID, he wasn't able to go anywhere with anybody. So all he knows is his sister and his cousins. So we're, you know, we're trying to help him overcome the fear that he has of being with other people. Because we know that once he overcomes that fear, he's gonna be more mature. And that's what God wants us to do. Whatever fear it is that, God's, that we have, God wants us to overcome that so that we mature and we grow. So as we attempt to do God's word and do what God tells us to do, hopefully we'll discern God's will, get over our fear, risk your faith, handle any failure that might come, and through it all, trust God. So back to our story. Jesus just fed 5,000 people. The disciples finished cleaning up. Now Jesus is going up on the hillside to pray. And he says, immediately... So it was no time lag. There wasn't any time for a conversation with the guys. wasn't a time for a nap. He sent them away, right away, so he could pray. Second, it was Jesus commanded they go on the water. This was a calling from the Lord, and yet it came with a tremendous storm. And a lot of times when we face opposition, we, must, we think that we must not be doing what God asked us to do because it's difficult. We're running into obstacles. But on the opposite might be the truth. We're doing what God wants us to do and we're going to face those and overcome them with the power of God. Just because you're doing what God wants you to do doesn't mean you're not going to face opposition. And that's in the natural. Now, these guys were experienced fishermen. They, they had to have been in storms before. They had to have experienced this stuff. And they had to have been out in deep water at night. They thought they'd seen it all, right? The problem was, this was not an ordinary storm. The New Living Translation reads, they were fighting heavy waves. The NIV says they were buffeted by the waves. My wife and I just finished watching a series we, we shared that we watched, Disasters at Sea, another light and breezy show. And it would talk about these big container ships and whatever, just for whatever reason, sinking. And most of the folks on the ships would, would perish. And you look at, they, they would do graphics and try to do you know, CGI stuff of how it would have looked. Imagine the huge waves that were buffeting these little, this little fisherman's boat. Waves bigger than the sides of the boat, rocking back and forth. Guys are getting ready to fall out. Waves washing over the boat. There's guys who are out there trying to bail water. You ever watch the movie Perfect Storm? George Clooney? That type of thing. Now they'd been in the water for a long time. Verse 23 says, the boat was already a considerable distance from the shore when the evening came. So they left before dusk, and by the time that night fell, they were in the middle of the storm. 
Verse 25 says it was the third or the fourth watch of the night. That was around three, three to six in the morning. So they figure they left dinner at five. Maybe eight o'clock, it was storming. And so now we're at three o'clock in the morning. So for at least seven hours, they've been struggling through one of the worst storms they've ever seen. And if I'm them, I'm, I'm saying my prayers. I'm gonna meet Jesus pretty soon. And I'm sure that for seven hours, it seemed like forever. And sometimes the things that God allows us to experience seems like it lasts forever. If you're going through a difficult time, it just seems like it just goes on forever and ever. Is God ever gonna answer my prayer? Is God ever gonna work? I was listening to Alistair Begg the other day. He had a great quote. He, uh, he said he was asked a question by somebody who said, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? In other words, if God knows what he's gonna do and God's gonna do it, why do we even pray? Which I'm sure a lot of us have thought about at some point. And he turned the question around and he said this. He said, what if God wasn't sovereign? And what if God couldn't do whatever God wanted to do? Would you still pray? The point is, God can do whatever he wants to do, regardless of us or not. So I'm gonna pray to a God that I know can do anything that he wants to do. If I have a God that can't do anything, then why am I gonna pray? But I have a sovereign God who's able to do anything more than I can ask or think, the Bible says. So I'm gonna pray and trust God to do that. And so these guys are in the boat and they're probably seven hours into it, disoriented, tired of fighting it, and so Jesus starts walking to them. See, now we're going to lesson two, because that would have been the end of lesson one on a Wednesday night. So John six seventeen says, but as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed out toward the lake toward Capernaum. Now we assume that they were waiting for him to get done praying and go with him, but he didn't. So they left without him. Darkness fell, storm comes up, three o'clock in the morning. I'm sure that Jesus wasn't there. They didn't see Jesus. And they're in the middle of the storm and they probably didn't feel God's presence in the middle of the storm. Do you ever feel like God's not with you? You don't feel God's presence? It doesn't mean he didn't call you to do it. Just because you don't feel like God is there doesn't mean God's not there. The Bible says he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Just because you don't feel him working at that moment doesn't mean he's, he's gone. If you have kids, you put them to bed at night and you, you don't go in their room, but you look through the crack of the door to see what they're doing, right? They don't know you're there, so they're jumping around, goofing around, and they don't know you're there. And they may be afraid because you're not there. But the truth is you're right outside the door looking in. Nothing's gonna happen to them. They may not see you, they may not hear you, and they may be fearful because of that. But it doesn't mean you're not there. We put my, when my grandson is four-year-old, he stays over, he, he gets fearful at night. And he wanna sleep with us. As long as he can feel me laying next to him, he's good. 
But when I get up to go back downstairs, if he's not sleeping, he gets fearful. Even though I'm standing in the room or standing outside the room, I'm there, he's still fearful because he doesn't see me. And just because we don't see God working or feel God's presence doesn't mean God's not with you. That's the time you have to push on through and trust that God's still there regardless of how you feel about it. Matthew 14, 23 says, Afterwards he went up on the hillside by himself to pray. Night, fought, night fell while he was there alone. Jesus praying, gets dark, so a lot of time has passed. It says night fell while he was praying, so it must not have been dark when he started. John tells us that it got dark while Jesus was praying, so they left. And now the guys are in the middle of the storm, and they were fighting heavy waves. John tells us they were about three or four miles out. Mark 6 says, during the night, the disciples were in their boat out in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. Now, we don't have an accurate or an exact time when he noticed it, but it appears they've been struggling for a while, and we thought about seven hours. And sometimes the struggles we face doing what God wants us to do will last longer than we want it to last. I'm sure these guys wanted to swim to be over right away. But it will last longer than you want and longer than you think. Mark 6.48 says he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. Now, it doesn't say that the guy saw him, but Jesus saw them. Even when we don't think God sees us because of the storm and we can't find him, the Bible says that God knows where you are. God will hold you up. Isaiah 41, I'll hold you up in my righteous right hand. Matthew 14, 25 says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. So they left six or seven o'clock after dinner. Now it's three o'clock in the morning. Again, six or seven hours. Tired, exhausted, thinking they're not gonna make it. Mark 6, 48 says this. About three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the water. He started to go past them. Now, if you ever read that, what do you think? If I'm in the boat and he starts to walk past me, I'm like, hey, dude, we're sinking. Help. But that's not what it means. The phrase go past or pass by is the exact Old Testament phrase that God uses when he's about to show his glory. Exodus 33, the Lord continued, stand here on this rock beside me. As my, glory, my glorious presence passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Same phrase. 1 Kings 19, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. It wasn't that he was going to just keep on walking to the next shore. He was passing by in order that they see something miraculous from God. In each of these scenes, God's calling these men to do something extraordinary. And each time that he was doing it, he was passing by, they felt afraid. But both times when he said that, they said yes. And when they said yes, what happened? They experienced the power of God. And he's about to reveal his presence and power to the guys in the boat. Now, we kept mentioning that obedience is no guarantee of being spared hardship or adversity. So the guys are, the guys are terrified, not knowing what to do next. Then they see Jesus. Mark 6:49. when they saw him walking in the water, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. I read a headline the other day 
that said Pennsylvania is one of the top 10 states for ghosts and supernatural things like that. I'm thinking, okay. But remember what I said before. People want the supernatural. They want something that's beyond themselves. And they're going to look for it anywhere they can find it. Ghosts and fortune tellers and all that kind of stuff. They look, they look for something supernatural. When we have the supernatural, when God can move in a miraculous way and do supernatural things, we have the miraculous. They have a fake imitation. Usually it's just a lie. But people want the truth. The first thing we have to do to water walk is to recognize God's presence. At first, I didn't recognize who he was. I thought he was a ghost. I'm not sure where they got that from, but the excitement of the trouble in the middle of the storm, tormented by the waves of disappointment and doubt, it's sometimes hard to know that God is there. You go through things in your life that are very difficult, and sometimes it's difficult to know that God is really with you. But a lot of times, it's in the hardships that you find the peace of God. You know, we talk about mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. What grows on a mountaintop? Nothing. Barren rock. Nothing grows on a mountaintop. Everything grows in the valley. When we go through the valley with the Lord, it's because God is wanting to grow us. Mountaintop experiences are just that. They're meant to be a moment in time to move us on to the next valley. So it's great to have mountaintop experiences but you really experience the presence of God when you're in the valley, when you're struggling, when you need God to do something for you. And sometimes it's hard to recognize that God's with you in the valley until you really trust him and step out and believe him for it. And that's when you have to operate by faith, not by sight. If you're not looking for God in the middle of the trouble, you might just miss him. But it says that Peter recognized him. The other guys didn't recognize him. Peter did. Matthew 14, 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you by walking on the water. Notice that he didn't just jump in the water. He needed to know that Jesus was actually telling him to get in the water. It's an exercise in risk-taking, but also it's an exercise in obedience. Before he gets out of the boat, he wants to be sure that Jesus is calling him to do it. We talked about faith and foolishness in our lesson. There's things that are faith-filled, that God's calling us to do and challenging our faith. And then there are things that are foolishness, that God isn't calling us to, that we think is a, is a good thing. And water walkers, when we want to walk on water, and we want to do things for God, we have to discern between the two. Because there's a couple of different points that we talk about. God gives you wisdom and intelligence. How many of you prayed about what you're going to wear to church this morning? Look around. Some of you did or some of you didn't. My wife gets my stuff out at night. But God gives you wisdom and intelligence to be able to make that decision yourself. You don't need to have the mind of God to what you're going to wear. Things that God will call you to do 99% of the time, 
allows us to use your own smarts. Now, later on in the lesson, we talk about giftings and abilities and talents that we have that God wants to tweak and get better. And I've said this, you're probably sick of hearing it, you know, God's not going to call me to be a singer. (laughs) It's not going to happen. Unless God strikes me down and puts another voice in my throat, I'm not going to be a singer. So, there's that. We talked about the American Idol experience. When they first started and they had these people come on, they were terrible singers. And, but they think they're great singers. They think they're going to win this competition. And our question is, don't they have any friends to tell them that they can't sing? <laughs> there are things that God allows us to use our own talents and abilities, our own smarts, and faith and foolishness divides the two. We don't buy something we can't afford because you think God will provide it. Usually that's how it works. You don't go out in faith and buy a bunch of stuff thinking that God's going to give you the money. The Bible talks more about money than he talks about anything else. He talks about checking your finances before making a decision. All right, so God uses your intelligence to make decisions. In other words, don't quit your job without a new job. If you don't work, the Bible says, what? You don't eat. And God gives what is not so common, common sense. We have common sense. God gives us abilities that we're to use, but not only use. We use what God's given us, and then God multiplies that and uses it in ways that we think God wants us to do. So we have to make a decision between, is it smart Is it something that God wants to do or is it just something that's stupid that I want to do? What's faith? What's foolishness? Next step, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. After we discern that, okay, God wants me to do this, you have to actually choose to do it. It'd be enough of a risk if the weather was perfect for them. Even if the water is perfectly calm, getting out of the boat is a risk. But now, he's been fighting the waves all night, 3 o'clock in the morning. He's probably tired. And compared to being out of the boat, being in the boat is safe. But now, he wants to get out. Whatever God calls you to, it's usually out of something that is safe and comfortable for you. Into what appears to be something that you're not prepared to do. Now, you could opt to stay where you are. God wants me to do this, but I'm I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid I'm not going to do it right, and I'm comfortable here. So I'm going to stay here. But if you stay here, you're not going to do what God asks you to do, and you're not going to experience the power of God. Now, the guys in the boat, they, they did just fine. They stayed in the boat. They survived. None worse for the wear. But guess what? They didn't walk on water. They didn't have God do a miracle in their life because they didn't take the risk. And I think most of us don't want to just cruise through life, avoiding failure. How many are football fans here? How many have heard of the prevent defense? Prevent defense is all you do is try to keep the other team from scoring. You don't try to score yourself, you just try to keep them from scoring. That never works very well. 
And we can't play prevent defense in our life. I'm not going to do anything so nothing bad is going to happen to me. No, we've got to go on the offense and we've got to do and step out in faith and do things. Get out of the boat, walk on the water, and be used by God. And God will do that if you leave your comfort zone and get out. The example I had was when, he, and if you're a regular here, you've heard the story ad nauseum. But for those of you who are new, I'm going to share it a little bit again. Our home church, we had been there almost 20 years. 13 years on staff and then seven years just as members. And then God called us to go to Florida. It was so comfortable in that church. I could probably still be there. It was just, it was comfortable. No risk. But God was telling us to go to Florida. So we went. And it was tough leaving. It was the hardest thing we ever did. But we knew God was in it. And we took the risk. And then, after settling in Florida for three years or so, God says, okay, go back. Go back. I'm liking the weather here, Lord. I don't want to go back. But God said, go back. And again, leaving something comfortable to do what God asks you to do. It would be easy for us to stay comfortable, not risk anything, not take any chances, but at the end of your life, now you go back to the question, what do you regret not doing? Versus what do you regret doing? More of us are gonna have regrets of things we didn't do that we could have done. We wish we would have done, but now it's too late to do. Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't wanna give it up. Even if it means keeping you from doing something great for God. I wrote down here, ask the question, what's your boat? What is, the, what is the one thing that's keeping you from stepping out and doing what God asks you to do? It may be something you think is very big or maybe something you think is small. And another question is, what is it that produces the most fear in you if you think about leaving it behind? When I quit my job to go into ministry, I went in as an intern, half the pay, and I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm kind of burning that bridge. But it was leaving the boat. You're taking the risk. When you take the risk, God provides when you need, what he needs you to do. Going back to the rich young ruler, we talked about him earlier. He came up to Jesus, you know the story. Lord, I've done all these things for you. What do you want me to do now? And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. What do you say? Uh, no, no thanks. Why? Because that was his boat. That was his comfort. He was comfortable where he was. Jesus said, give it all up. And he said, no. Now, it doesn't say anything further about him, but what do you think he's thinking at the end of his life? I wish I'd have given that up. You know, in funerals, you don't take anything with you. And the question we asked last week in our class was, what do you hope to be remembered by? 
So when you're, when you're doing your funeral, what do you hope people are saying about you? And what do you hope you have accomplished by that time? You don't want to get to that point and look back and say, I should have done this. Even if you fail, how many know failure is not a sin? You do something for God and it doesn't work, step up and do it again. And do it again. And do it again. When I was ordination class, the preacher that was preaching to all the preachers, he said, look, I'd rather have someone try 100 things and fail 100 times than not try anything for God. Because just like the guy who, the two guys who invested their money, they took a risk. They stepped out. Not knowing how it was going to turn out, they could have lost everything. It could have been 2008 for them or 1929 for them, and they could have lost everything. But they took the risk. God's calling each one of us to, to step out and do something. And I don't know what that is, but I imagine that you do. Whenever you're prayer time, whenever you're thinking, whenever you're walking, things that come up in your mind, you know that God's telling you to do something. And the question is, are you going to step out, take the risk, and, and walk on water? Do something great for God. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? When I first felt like I was going to be a preacher, I had never spoken in front of people before. In fact, when I was in high school, I was in a school play. I had one line that I failed to say every night because I was too afraid to say it. So like Moses, I thought, God, you, you can't be doing this to me. But I'll start and see where it goes from there. I took the risk. And I'm not anything special. Every one of us is special to God. And every one of us has a call that God's challenging you to do something that is a little bit beyond what you think you can do. He will use the giftings and abilities that you either think you have or think you don't have. But he will use them in a way that makes you feel really encouraged because you know you've done something for God. And when it's all said and done, people will look at you and, and realize it was God doing it through you. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never really committed your life to Christ, which is the first call that anyone receives. The Bible says that no one comes to God unless the Father draws them. So that means if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. Because God wants you to make that choice. It's safe not committing your life to Christ, or at least you think it's safe, because it's comfortable where you are. You'll keep the friends you have, and you'll keep doing the same things you did. It's comfortable. But you think that when you commit your life to Christ, it's just too scary, and God's going to tell you to do something that's crazy, like go to Egypt or something. But in reality, God wants you to make the choice to step out in faith, take the risk and see what God can do in your life. If you're here and you've never done that, there's a reason you're here today. God does nothing by accident. God does everything with a purpose. 
you're here because God needed you to hear something or experience something or, and it may not even be anything that I said. It may be something that somebody sitting next to you said or a song we sang. In any case, it's because God loves you and has a plan for your life and he wants you to follow it because he knows if you do, in the end, you'll be blessed. But if you've never made that commitment and you wanna do that today, you wanna say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that my sin will keep me out of your presence and I know my sin requires death. The wage of the sin is death, the Bible says. But the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Jesus took the payment for your sin. He paid the debt. You come to Christ and your slate is clean. If you want to do that this morning, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. That's why you're here. I'm going to believe all of us are committed followers of Christ. Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, you, you had a totally different plan for this, this morning's service. And whatever that plan was, Lord, we're glad that you did it. Because this is not our church. This is your church. And we want you to do whatever you want to do in our church. So Lord, I pray that everything we said today, everything we did, the sermon and the songs, I pray that you are pleased. I pray that your name is glorified and I pray that your people are blessed this morning. Father, we come together as a fellowship, not just to hear words, but to experience what the word of God says in our life. And I pray that each person here received whatever it is you wanted to share with them today. And I pray that they would leave feeling that most of all that you love them and you care for them and you have a tremendous opportunity for them to step out in faith, to do something that is only doable by them. And when they do it, Father, they will know that they've done it through the power of God and they'll know that, God, you've worked in them to use them. You chose them. Your word tells us that we didn't choose you, but you chose us. You picked us. You picked us knowing our failures. You picked us knowing all of the things we would blow even after we came to know you. Every mistake we would make, every failure we had, the Bible says you already knew all of them and you still chose us. Father, for that we're eternally grateful. And I just pray your blessings upon each person here today. Let us leave knowing we've been in the presence of God and that our lives are changed for what you are doing in us. So Lord, I commit each person to you, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. Anoint them, empower them, and allow them to see the hand of God working in their life. Meet every need upon their heart as your word tells us you will. The burdens that we carry, we've already left at the altar. So we walk out unencumbered by the things that weighed us down before. And we do it all because of Jesus and it's in his name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen, God bless you. We will let you know when we schedule the new life girls. We have to reschedule them.